Father, reveal your word to us today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What kind of uniforms have you worn in your life? What kind of uniforms have you worn? I was at a party last night, birthday party. And uh, it was quite a ways from here. I went, talking to this person I've never met before, but she kind of knew who I was. It's a bit worrying, isn't it? But uh, she said, oh, are you going to be staying over the night because you've come quite a, quite a distance? And I said, no, no, I've got to work tomorrow. Oh, yes, you're one of these. And she put her finger up to her throat. I thought she meant I'm just going to be, you know. <laughs> but uh, she went, you know, you're one of those collar people, aren't you? I went, yeah, yeah. Now you understand why I can't stay. I've got to work tomorrow. So, but what about uniforms? Because when I put that on, you know, if I walk into Harrow like this, people that know me say, hey, pastor, nice to see you. No one else does. When I walk with my collar on into the center of Harrow, complete strangers, father, 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 father. People come up to you because you're wearing the uniform. And it means something. What about you? Have you, uh, any of you been in the uniformed organizations? Cubs, scouts, brownies, guides? Any of you had all those badges all down your arms so that you became lopsided because you only put them on one arm? And, you know, when I was in the Cubs, my, my aim was to have so many badges that I couldn't, you know, that it was actually in the armpit. was the only place my mother could sew it on. You know, never got there, of course, but... What about other uniforms? People wear uniforms, don't they? Chefs, what do they have? White, wear these funny hats. Oh, I should have put a bit. There's a, such a funny thing on YouTube. I'll bring it to you next time. This chef got his big hat on, and he's looking. This dish comes out. He was obviously the, the master chef there. This dish comes out from one of the other chefs and he looks at it in disgust and he's like shouting like this and he leans over like this and his hat cats on fire over the gas burner. Yeah. It was, uh... Anyways, uniforms, we wear them all the time, don't we? Police, you see them, fire, ambulance, doctors, nurses, so many different people wear uniforms and even if there's not a standard uniform Often people will wear a particular kind of clothing. Teachers always wear the same kind of clothes, right? You can tell, you can sniff a teacher because they wear the same kind of stuff. Usually, in my day, it was the blazer with the patches over the sleeve, you know, wasn't it, on the, on the elbows. Could tell they were teachers and so on. Uniforms. We're going to look at a uniform today as we continue in our passage from Colossians chapter 3. Because at the end of the passage, this is the summary statement. You know, I used to love in, in the textbooks in, in the school, when you had to read this big textbook, do you remember? And at the, the really good ones would have just a summary paragraph at the end of every chapter, wasn't it? You just like hit the jackpot when you found that kind of textbook because you knew that you could just read the summary and didn't have to worry about the whole of the rest of the chapter, right? That was my philosophy anyway. That you could just read the summary and then the teacher would say, have you read, have you read the chapter? And yeah, yeah, I know, what, I know what was in there. 
You just hope that you can waffle enough from the summary statement at the end. But this is Paul's summary to this whole passage that we've been looking at in detail together from Colossians chapter 3. This is the end of the paragraph. And he says this, Whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in everything that you do, all that you are, all that you say, all that you think, all that you do, you act out everything 24-7, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, what does that really mean? Well, the key bit in here is what does it really mean when it says in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you wake up in the morning, what does it mean to live in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you come to church, what does it mean to live in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you go to work, what does it mean to live in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you're at home looking after the kids, what does it mean to do that in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you're doing the washing up at home or you're out in the garden, what does it mean to do that in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you're playing tennis, what does it mean to do that in the name of the Lord Jesus? Whatever you do, in word or deed, in, in all that you are, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that really mean to live 24-7 your life in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it mean? What's he really saying? Giving thanks to God the Father through that same Jesus Christ. Just do it. Do it all. Live your life. In his name. What does it mean? Well, first, it means that we have to admit our own spiritual bankruptcy. That I cannot live the way God wants me to live in my name. I haven't got the resources to do it in the way that he wants me to do it. I can't, I can't live that way in my name. When I do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's different to me doing it in the name of David. So often in life, what we do is we go and we, we do something, and then we say, Lord, please bless it. I do it in my name. I, this is a great idea. I'm going to do this. And then, Lord, please come help me. Help me. Help me. I need your help here. I need, you, I need, you, I need something extra. How many of you used to do that in exams? Used to go into exams? This was me. I'll be honest. And I'd sit there. In my name, quite confident, and then I opened the paper. And then my confidence would drain away. Mass A level, 21 questions. You had to answer four. I looked at all 21. I thought, am I in the wrong class? Am I, this is the wrong exam? What's going on? I don't understand any of these questions. I went in there with confidence, thinking, you know what, I've studied hard, I've done this, I've done that. I opened the paper and I went, what am I going to do? And I do what every good believing Christian young boy should do. I said, Lord, you've got to help me here. Help me. Let me not try and do this in my name because I've just come to realize, slightly probably too late, but I've come to realize that in my name is not quite good enough right now. Jesus, please, you're, you're a miracle working God. Do it now, please. And suddenly you realize, Lord, bless me. Lord, help me to remember all the things I've never learned. Help me to remember all the things in those chapters I should have read when I only read the summary statement. 
bring it back to me. And the Lord said, David, next time read the chapter. It may help. So often in life, we go through life and we say, you know what? I'm going to do it in my name, Lord, then just come bless it, bless it, bless it, bless it, bless it. And when God doesn't, we go, Lord, why aren't you blessing what I'm doing? But that's not doing it in the name of Jesus, is it? That's doing it in your name, in my name. And we have to admit our spiritual bankruptcy. Lord, I cannot do this in my name. I cannot be good enough for you. I cannot be open enough to you. I cannot be a walking believer without your assistance. I can't do it in my name. It's no good. I can't even get onto step one in my own strength. I need to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. We have to recognize that bankruptcy. Do you remember when we did our series on the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5? The first one Jesus said is, blessed. Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. Those who recognize their spiritual poverty. Because theirs is the kingdom. When you recognize how poor you are in Jesus Christ, how you cannot accomplish it, then the Lord says, now you're in the right place to receive. But if you go around with that kind of pride saying, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I, I can handle this, I can do this, the Lord says, then you're shutting me out, you're closing the door. I can't come in. I'll stand there and I'll knock, but you're not opening the door to me because you're just doing it in your strength. You're not doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing it in the name of David. And that doesn't work. We have to admit where we really are before Christ. In Alcoholics Anonymous, first step, recognize that there's a higher power, right? You can't, you can't change in your own strength. You need something else. We need, we admit Lord, we can't do what you're asking us to do in our own strength. The second thing, though, from there is then we need to identify with the person of Christ. If we come and we say, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength, then the question is, well, then whose strength are you going to latch yourself onto? What power are you going to then open yourself to receive so that you do have the strength to live victorious lives? And as believers, we need to identify with the person of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means that we need to take on the mantle of Christ. It's, it's like in a wedding. What happens in a wedding? Well, the two become one, right? They, they say, we're not going to be separate individuals. We're going to come together. We, 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 we symbolize it so that... The groom is here, the bride comes walking down the aisle, and everybody's like, oh, she's beautiful, right? And they come together as two, and sometimes what we do is we light two separate candles at the start. And then we have a, a marriage candle, and they blow the two out, and the two become one in God's house. And we do that. Why? Because we're symbolizing that, actually, I'm not on my own anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join to you. And often... Today, the woman will change the name to the husband's name, or at least include it within it, to symbolize that unity together. I'm going to change my identity, that now we are married, we are one. And in the same way, we do that with Christ. When we identify with the person of Jesus, when we become a believer in Christ, we're saying, you know what, I, I don't want to be 
just me anymore. I want to be associated. I want to be joined to you, Jesus Christ. And the Bible puts that in a number of different ways. It says we're the bridegroom of Christ. uses that same imagery. We are the beautiful bride, His church, walking down to meet with Him and be united with Him. He says it in Ephesians 1, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship or daughtership through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. He said, Now, now you're my son, my daughter. You're part of the family. You're part of who we are as a family. You have... You've been welcomed in. You're my family now. We're family with God. In Romans, it goes further and he says, not only are you family, but you're co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8. You're on the same standing as Jesus Christ. That's how close you are to the Father. Jesus said, you know what? To be identifying with the person of Jesus Christ... You, can't, you come in and you recognize who you are in God. Do you know how much you know one of the, one of the difficulties is really getting this, isn't it? You know that? Like we say, well why why would he take me? Why would he adopt me? What have I got to offer? What can I give? And to really, really allow it to transform you inside. The Christ, that God so loved the world, that he loved you, that he chose you. When you really get that, not just in your head, but in your heart, it transforms you. It transforms you because you suddenly realize, you know what? It's like that advert, because you're worth it. You know? What was that L'Oreal or something, isn't it? Not just make up because you're worth it. Jesus says, you know what? You're worth it. I have chosen you. I've chosen you to come into my family. Because I believe in you. We sang it. I believe in you. But Jesus sings it to you as well. I believe in you. Charlotte, I believe in you. You know, Sis, I believe in you. Mike, I believe in you. Luke, I believe in you. He says, you're worth it. You're worth everything. Let me, let me welcome you in. Derek, I believe in you. Come into my family. Yeshim, I believe in you. Come into my family. He says that for each one of us. He says, I know your name. I've written it on my palm of my hand. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's what it means to be, to take on the person of Jesus Christ. We come to that point where even though we have nothing to offer, we accept, we recognize, we allow that truth to transform us and make a difference in our life. We identify with the person of Jesus Christ. So we wear, we wear his, his clothes, as it says, in Colossians, we put on the characteristics of Jesus Christ. We wear them because we're identified with him. 
you remember when you were younger? Maybe it didn't happen to you when I was younger. You get down towards the front door, and then my mum will be there. Where are you going? I was out to see my friend Paul. Not looking like that, you're not. What happened to you? Go change. Go, go comb your hair. You're not, you're not going like that. Why not? Because I'm not having anybody in our community seeing you looking like that. You're a, you're a scruff. We've got a reputation to uphold here. It's the family name that you're wearing. Right? Do you remember at school? School, every single school assembly came down to the same thing. Do your tie up. Wear your blazer properly. Especially when you're outside the school gates. Because you know every time we got out the school gates, what did you do? Your tie came down. You looked like you'd just been in a fight with 12 rounds with Mike Tyson or something, right? You didn't care, did you? And what would happen? A teacher would see you. And then it was like, oh. Another lecture came on this next assembly. Always the same thing. They always started in a different place, but they always ended up with the same message. Why? Because you're letting down the name of the school out in the community. Why? Because you represent the school. When you wear the blazer, it's got the badge on it. You represent the school to the community, right? You represent... When you, when you go out in your community as a little boy, I, I used to represent my family to the community. And in those days, the community was so tight-knit that any trouble you got into, your mother would know about it before you even got into trouble. That was how quick it was. You let us down. You let the family down. You let everybody down. Your grandfather would be turning in his grave right now. You know, and you got the whole, you know what I'm talking about. When you identify with Christ, that's what you're doing, right? Everywhere you go, that's what you're doing. You're wearing the name, you're wearing the blazer, you're putting on the tie that says, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. You're wearing it. What are you saying about Jesus? When you're out in the community, when you're at work, when you're at university, when you're at home, when you're on the tennis court, when you're looking after the kids, when you're in the playground, when you're at the mother and toddler group, when you're having coffee, when you're going out to a restaurant, or when you're on your own, what are you saying about who Jesus Christ is? That's what it means when you have the name. But it also means this, that we take on the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus has amazing authority. In Ephesians 1, it says, That power is the same as, his mighty, as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And where is Christ now? Seated at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's where Jesus is sitting, right? Jesus, when he rose from the dead, God the Father said, come up here, son. You can sit right next to me. Here's the throne right here. Jesus is sitting here right on his right hand side, the place of ultimate honor. He can whisper to the Father. 
He can comment to the Father. He's sitting here right next to the Father. He has the ear of the Father. He's sitting there right in the heavenly realms, in that place of ultimate honor. In Philippians, he said, so that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Because he's there in the place of ultimate honor. Where are you guys? Where am I? In Ephesians 2, it says, and God raised us up with Christ. And where are we? What does it say? I can't hear you. What does it say? Where are you? We are seated with him, with Christ, in the heavenly realms. Isn't that incredible? When, when God raised us up, when God chose us, when God said, come, and we said, thank you. He takes you by the hand like this. And he leads you right up next to him. So God the Father sitting in the middle. Jesus is right next to him and he says, hey, you know what? I got a seat for you right here. That's your seat. And he says, you know what? You can come up and be with me. They look different from that angle. Don't they? Stay there for a minute. Sorry. If you don't mind. That's where we're seated, right? He says, you're sitting right up there. In the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. You sit in there. Now what does that mean? Well, all authority, everything has been given to him. And you're seated where? Are you seated in the dock or are you seated on the, in the judge's chair? You're seated with him, right? You're seated up with him. He says, that's why you will judge the nations, he says in his word. Why? Because you're seated up there with him when you believe. When you take on the name of Jesus Christ, that's where you are. You have that same authority that he has because you're sitting that side of the table, right? You're sitting there. Sorry, thank you. You're sitting up there with him. Why, Why does he do that? Because you're family, right? You're family. When my two boys were younger, you know, I could be sitting. Remember, okay, let me put it this way. When I was a young boy in the church where we grew up in South London, I remember after church, I used to go running up into their big pulpit. They had this big stone pulpit. I used to love running up there. I don't know why. Maybe it was a, a prophecy of future, right? I used to run up into this pulpit. And I used to look down over the congregation like this. And then I'd hear the booming voice of my father saying, David, get out of the pulpit. You're not supposed to be up there. Stop messing about. Get out. Get out. And he'd grab me by the ear, pull me out. Don't, don't embarrass me. You know, I had a wonderful privilege. After I was ordained as a pastor, they invited me back. And my parents were sitting there in the congregation. And I remember saying to them, Dad, Mum, you can't get me out of here now. I'm legally allowed to be in this pulpit. All those years, 
where they dragged me out of the pulpit. I said, now you have to just sit and listen to me because I'm here in the pulpit. Why? Because I had the authority to be there. When I was a little boy, I didn't. That's why they pulled me out, right? But I gained the authority to be in the pulpit through the ordination. We have gained the authority because Christ has given it to you to be seated in the heavenly realms. Now, do you live your life with that authority? That's the question, isn't it? Because so often we live our lives thinking that we're stuck down here just looking at the authority up there, right? What authority do you have? I mean, God has all the authority. We know that. But what authority do you have? Do you have authority? Well, Jesus says, the word says, yes, you do. You have the same authority as Jesus Christ. Now live it in your life. We'll come back to that. Hold that thought for a moment. We take on his authority, but we also do this. We walk in his power as well. Look at what it says back in Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and the incomparably great power. For who? For us who believe. We have that power, right? That's the dunamis power of God. Carries on. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and exalted him, seated him in the, at the right hand in the heavenly realms, the bit we've just read before. So we have that same power, it says in God's word, that God used when he raised Jesus Christ from the clutches of hell and seated him in the heavenly realms. Now that's a lot of power, right? You and me, the word says, has that same opportunity for that power that God the Father used. Not even Jesus' power, but the power that the Father used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. Now you think about for a moment, when Satan had Jesus in hell, how much power did Satan exert to keep Jesus Christ there? As Paul said, if there's no resurrection, then there's no faith, right? If Jesus just was a good guy who lived, died, stayed dead, there, we got nothing. Paul says, we're, we're like fools to believe. But we believe because in the resurrection there is victory. That even death could not hold him. And all the power of the enemy, all the power of Satan and the demons and everything evil in this world that tried to keep Jesus there, everything was exerted on him. There wasn't one ounce of power, that, negative power that wasn't trying to keep Jesus Christ there because then there wouldn't be no victory for anybody. But God the Father said, hey, that's nothing compared to my power. And he pulled him out. And seated him at the right hand. He said, that kind of power is yours and mine. Isn't that incredible? 
not just the power that Jesus had to perform miracles or raise Lazarus from the dead or walk on water, but the very power. He could have just said, that kind of power that Jesus displayed, that's your kind of power. And that would have been amazing enough, right? But he said, no, 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 no. It goes way deeper than that. The potential you have is that same power that raised Jesus from death. Which means there can be no attack of the enemy that Christ cannot give you the power to overcome, right? Because everything that Satan tried to do to keep Jesus there failed. So everything that, God, that Satan may do to you to try and keep you pressed down, to keep you ineffective, to keep you on the ground so that you can go nowhere... Christ says, or the Father says, I've got more power. I'm going to give you the same power that tried to do that to my son is yours. So you can overcome. Amen? That's the power that God gives to us. That's the potential that we have. And we, if we take on his name, need to start walking in that power. When you pray... Do you pray with that power thinking in your head for what you're praying about? Do you pray with that authority in your head in what you're, in what you're saying? Jesus didn't say, Lord, if it's, you know, like, oh, I'm going to pray. I don't really know, but uh, Lord, if you, if you can do this, Father, then please do it. No, he just said, like, get up, walk. Lazarus, come out. Water. Wind, be still. He just, he knew, didn't he? He didn't faff around with it. I love Jesus. He didn't say many words, did he, sometimes? Just wind, that's enough. All right, let's go on down to business now, right? That's what we have. We walk in that. If we walk in the name of Jesus. But here's the, the cr crucial thing. We need to do what Jesus did, and that was to submit to the will of the Father. Do you remember Jesus in Gethsemane? What did he say? Not my will, but yours. In Luke's gospel. And in John 15, he says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Love this passage. And now what's the next word? If. If you remain in me. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If. You do not remain in me. You're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. All the way through the passage in John 15, the vine and the branches says, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, I can do it. Why? Because if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You see, Jesus... He, he did everything for his Father's glory, right? Everything. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Everything he did was because his Father told him to do it. He walked and he talks and he, he acted and he, he thought and he, he prayed. And everything he did was for the Father's glory. Everything. He said, Father, what do you want me to do today? I'll go do it. What do you want me to do in this situation? I'll do it. What do you want me to say? I'll say it. 
How do you want me to behave? That's, that's what I'll do. He was totally in tune with his father's desire because his whole life was to give his father glory. Now, when we live in the name of Jesus, then that same thinking, that same question needs to be in our mind all the time. When I have a conversation, is this to my father's glory? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Derek, and Derek starts gossiping about someone. Bad boy. I'm just joking, right? What do I do? Say, Lord, whatever I want to say now, it needs to be to the Father's glory. So what do I say in this situation? Right? When I'm at home, I'm thinking alone, and I start thinking about someone. Someone that's irritated me this week. And I go, Lord, this person, oh, stop. Is what I'm about to think to the Father's glory? Or is it just to justify my heart? Derek comes to me. I'm just using Derek as an example here. Right? Derek comes to me and I says, Pastor, I got this situation. Am I going to pray? to the Father's glory, that means I pray with the authority of Jesus and I pray with the power of Jesus. Because nothing short of that is, is, is to the Father's glory, is it? We pray into that situation with the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I'm not praying and giving honor to the Father. Am I going to do that? When I go to the parties... Am I going to behave to the Father's glory? When I work here, am I going to do it all to the Father's glory? Because I can be a pastor and do it to my glory and not to His. When you, when you lead worship, are you doing it all to the Father's glory? When you're singing, are you doing it all to the Father's glory? When you're on the laptop doing screens, are you doing it to the Father's glory? When we're having coffee afterwards, are we doing it to the Father's glory? Tomorrow morning when you get up and you go, praise the Lord, it's Monday. <gasps> Wonderful. Are you going to live to the Father's glory? You see, that's what it takes to do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. You're saying, I want to live every moment to the Father's glory. I want to do whatever the Father wants me to do. Say whatever he wants me to say. And you can't just do that and compartmentalize it and say, well, I'll do that on Sunday between 11 and 1, but on Fridays, that's my time. It doesn't work that way, does it? You see, the thing is, when you take on, when you take on the name of Jesus, what does Colossians say? It says you change, you change your old self dies your new self comes. It's like you take on new skin. You, you, you make a permanent tattoo on you, and you say, to the Father's glory. You can't erase it. You can't get rid of it. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't go off at any time you like and watch what you want to watch on television or do what you want to do and pretend that that's okay because, well, you know, it's not to the Father's glory. It's tough, isn't it? 
in his name, three simple words. We admit our spiritual bankruptcy. We identify with the person of Jesus Christ. We take on that, that new, new skin of Jesus Christ. We take on the authority, therefore, of Jesus, and we also take on the power. We walk in the power of Jesus Christ. But we have to submit if we're going to do that to the authority of the Father, because that's what Jesus did right throughout his life, to bring the Father glory. And one last thing. We walk 24-7. As I said, you can't just do that part-time. Jesus says it's full time or no time. The choice is yours. There is no part-time option. Be nice if there was, wouldn't it? I'll be good on weekends. Well, maybe every second and fourth. First and third, that's mine. You know, I'll be good. I'll walk to the Father's glory when it suits me, but at other times, it doesn't work that way. It's like saying, Lord, or God, Lord says to you, David, it's all time or no time. You choose. You do it 24-7. In John 14, he says, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do it even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You see, if you're walking full-time in the power of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, all to the glory of the Father, then you ask for anything that the Father is telling you to ask for, He's going to give it to you, right? Anything. Because you're there, connected, you're going to bear fruit. So often what we do is, well, honestly, we don't really walk in the name of Jesus, do we? I mean, we try to. But we fall so far short, don't we? Don't we? I do. And I have the collar. Not that that makes much difference in this. Let me close with two things. Firstly, a warning. Exodus 20 is one of the, that's the passage where there are the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments, third commandment says this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does that mean? Well, that means that you don't misuse everything that we've been talking about. You know, when I used to read this, I used to think it just meant swearing, basically. Don't blaspheme God. Don't say, oh, sugar, right? And don't say anything worse than that. But that's not what it means, is it? Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What, what is it to misuse his name? Well, it's not to live and walk in the name of Jesus Christ, right? 
It's not to accept the authority that Jesus Christ has given to us. It's not to walk in the power that Jesus Christ has given us. It's not to do all the things that we've just spoken about. Otherwise, God's not going to hold you guiltless. So what does that make you and me? Well, as I read it, it makes me completely and utterly guilty, doesn't it? Maybe you're better than me. Maybe you know how to walk in the way of Jesus Christ 24-7. But for me, it makes me guilty. So what can we do? Try a bit harder? No. Because you can never try hard enough, can you? What can you do? You can do the one thing that you can always do. Fall on your knees. And say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me yet again for misusing the name of Jesus Christ. I wear the skin, but I don't always walk in it. Forgive me. Forgive me with that power and that strength to help me. To help me to walk better in the future. Don't you want to walk in the name of Jesus Christ? I do. And it starts on our knees before the cross of Jesus. This is where it starts. And this is why Jesus said every single day, take up my cross and follow me. Every day, Lord, when I fall short of what it means to wear the name of Jesus Christ, to live in the name of Jesus Christ, forgive me. I'm not worthy to have that name. And what does Jesus do when you're on your knees before him? You know what he does? He does what he always does, and he picks you up by the hand, and he says, David, I forgive you. And he sits you back where you belong, at the right hand, next to him, in the heavenly realms. That is the Christ that we follow. Because this is the promise. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, Jesus will take you and he'll say, come, because I have the power, I have the authority, I have the ability to seat you with me back in the heavenly realms where you belong. That my friends, is grace. You don't deserve it and neither do I. But he does it for you. And he says, David, open yourself more to my spirit. David, 
remember. Remember to live your life seeking to please the Father. Because then, 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 then you'll wear the authority and the power in much greater and greater ways. All for his glory. You see why Paul finished his passage like this? Whatever you do, 24-7, word, deed, thought, whatever it is. He said, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him.